Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Jen, for reading. So on days like today, be very easy to be distracted by like the rain coming down. That is rain. But see, I just sense like nobody, nobody wants to go out in that. So I got all the time in the world here. That's, that's the way I, that's the sign I take it from. So let me tell you about 20 years ago. So 20 years ago in de- December was the first time I ever came up to this part of the country. So I was dating this amazing girl from central Pennsylvania. And we were, um, came up to this area to visit with uh, Shauna and her family. And I'd always loved history. And so being in this part of the country with history, especially I enjoyed Civil War history. And so uh, where she grew up is not that far from Gettysburg. So I thought, now if I'm going up to Pennsylvania over Christmas break, I, I need to go to Gettysburg. And so we planned out a trip. But it was December, and it was like 20 degrees. And she remembers it even colder than that. I remember it was in the 20s. But um, I went to the, like, the welcome center and the gift shop there, and you could buy these audio cassettes. Remember those? Yeah. My kids don't, but you could buy these cassettes, and they would be a tour. And so you'd play it, and you'd drive around a little bit, and then you'd stop, listen to a little bit of what happened at this particular location. You could get out of your car, walk around, see the battlefield, see what happened on this particular site. You get back in, and you drive to the next stop. And there were I want to say like 15 of these stops along the way. And uh, I remember like the first five stops or so, Shauna got out with me. And then I remember her like on stop number six going, Curtis, do you mind if like I just stay in the car and we leave it running? Because I've seen all this before and (laughs) I'm glad for you to see it, but I really don't want to get out of the car. So this is where our relationship was forged and we came to understandings and agreements. Uh, So I did that and uh, certainly froze, but I remember something about that day. And what I remember is the audio guide that gave kind of this battlefield tour. It didn't change the battlefield at all. It didn't make something appear that wasn't there. So just by listening to the audio and, and hearing what happened, it didn't create anything that hadn't physically, certainly, that has not been there before. What it did do, though, as I listened, it gave some perspective to what I was looking at. It gave some background information, some stories that helped kind of put it all into context. It also gave some, like, kind of brought, brought it to life, gave some color and just some understanding. It certainly made it memorable. It made the story of what happened on those days in July of 1863. I mean, it, it helped it all stand out and, and become a little bit more real and helped me appreciate the hallowed ground and kind of the sacred space that's there. I think of that when I read the 23rd Psalm and certainly when I'm called to teach or, or talk about it, especially Psalm 23, 4, which is, I think, probably 
fairly familiar to most, even if you're not a Christian or don't identify as a follower of Jesus Christ, you still probably have been to some funeral where you've heard, you've heard Psalm 23 read. And I recognize something about this psalm that Jen read a moment ago, and that is there is no way to improve that. I can be foolish to try. We're not going to create anything new by looking at this psalm today, but, but what I'd like to do, much like that audio cassette was, I, I'd like to direct your attention to a few things. What I'd like to do is to in some ways be your guide and really amplify God's word to us so that, so that we don't just know this mentally, and some of you can even recite it, all six verses of this psalm. What I want, what I want this psalm to do is not just like hit us in, in our head, but actually land deep in our hearts so that we, ha- we feel this. We feel what David affirms here in, in this psalm. So here's our roadmap. I want, I want to point out a connection, and I want you to see a connection. And then I, I want you to see the, and appreciate the confidence that David has in this 23rd psalm, especially verse 4. And then I want us to look at the reason why I had that confidence, the reason why I had it. So I hope you keep Psalm 23 open I want, first of, first of all, I want you to see a connection. I want you to see what connects verses 1 to 3 with verse 4, which we're going to spend a lot of time in. So we looked at verses 1 to 3 last week, and in them David makes a declaration of what the Lord does for him. The Lord makes him lie down in green pastures, leads him beside still waters, restores his soul, leads him in paths of righteousness for his namesake. This is what the Lord does. This is his declaration. He does this as his shepherd. But, but here's the connection I want us to make. It's, in verse 4, it seems like the, if you were playing music, it seems like it moves to a minor key, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's the connection. It's the same shepherd still leading It's the same shepherd who is still leading David, even as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. There aren't orange signs and barrels kind of redirecting, giving giving our shepherd a detour that somehow he did not anticipate. And now he's got to go an alternate route. It's not as if the shepherd didn't anticipate what we're going through. There aren't any accidents with our shepherd. So the same one who is leading us beside still waters, the same one who's restoring our soul is also the one that is actually leading us on the right path. And the right path in this case happens to be even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If we understand that, I think this will help. It'll help kind of reset some things. If we see that connection, because it may mean that we run across a green pasture even as we're walking through the valley. It may mean there are still waters that we would not know if we didn't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There may be some right paths that if we were to try to just kind of ditch the Lord and go our own path, it may spare us for a while from walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But the Lord is so committed to us staying on the right path. He's doing this for his name's sake. And the train, kind of the the engine of the train of Psalm 23, the engine is the Lord is my shepherd and everything follows that. That's what pulls this whole psalm is the Lord is my shepherd. 
So we see that connection. I think when you see that connection, I think then we can appreciate the confidence that David has. So I do want us to see the connection here between it's the same shepherd. But I also want you to appreciate the confidence that David has that where he can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear evil. The wording is somewhat future, isn't it? So even if I should, or maybe we could even put it this way, even if I'm likely to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even if that's the path I'm going on, walking in valleys and shadows and fear is very different than green pastures, still waters, and the right path. It's something about walking in the valley And David captures poetically, I think, what happens to us emotionally. It's some fear is triggered. For what it's worth, I think Disney's movie Inside Out a few years ago, I think it gave us some insight into some of this in in the way only a a cartoon movie can. But if you remember, there there were several characters in Inside Out, and they represented emotions we have. Remember, there was sadness disgust, anger, joy, but there was also fear. And what was interesting that that movie portrayed, actually what goes on in our heart is sometimes we feel many of those emotions at the same time. A lot of that is going on in our heart, in our head, and that's the way we're wired. That is what it means to be human. We feel different emotions and we feel them regularly and we feel them simultaneously. And and David talks about the shadow of death and, and he brings up rightfully, he brings up the subject of fear when we read the shadow of death, there are certainly Hebrew scholars that will tell, tell us that this means more than just like clinical death or, or some sort of medical death. It means more than that. It, there, there's an illusion here, and even some translations will pick it up, and maybe yours does. It, it says like the valley of the deepest darkness. And I think it's telling us that this is, this is more than just death, physical death. But I'd have to say it's not less than that either. Because I'm not sure anything casts a shadow over our life quite like recognizing death may be just around the corner. And so David gets very real here. I was communicating with some friends this week about what really triggers fear in our lives. So if, if you will, can, can we take a walk down that street called fear? Like, I don't want to spend a long time in that development. I'd like to move on. But I do think David named some things that I, I think it's wise for us just to think a little bit. When David says he doesn't fear evil, even though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of things where we feel little control. When we don't feel like we're in control of something, we feel vulnerable. So it might be our health. We know like the the cells in our body, who knows what they could do tomorrow, in a week, in a year. Or maybe there's a job position you have and some person could make a decision in a corporate office somewhere, miles away from where you are, and that could change the whole course of your life. It's things out of your control. Or or it could be the, the loss of a family member or disease. Or what I've also noticed is we don't just fear things that are out of our control. We actually fear things that are in our control as well. So we fear those things because we feel some measure of responsibility for them, and rightfully so. So we might be afraid, and, and, and rightfully 
so we could be afraid of shipwrecking our walk with the Lord. Or, or we could be fearful of misrepresenting the gospel. So I want to live my life in such a way where someone could see me and they're not going to see a perfect representation of Jesus, but I hope somewhere along the way they're going to see something of Jesus in me. But, but how terrifying it is that I could live in such a way where I give the wrong impression and I'm saying this is what, I, I'm saying by my mouth this is what Jesus is like, but by my life I'm saying something very different. I, I have control over how much effort I give to something, but what if I give that effort and I'm, I'm exposed as inadequate. I, d- I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. Our fears creep in when how, even how we view ourselves. So we're, we're fearful of having to live with regrets that may go on for decades. A mess we make that we cannot clean up. We're fearful of disappointing others. We're fearful that someone, well, not everyone, but someone's going to not approve of us not give us the approval we, we feel like we need to survive. We're fearful if we offend someone. We, we fear in how we view other people. What if, what, if, what if this person that I love, what if this family member, close friend, does not accept Christ? What if they, they turn their back on him? What if I can't help them, can't be there for them? What if we living in this world of violence and death? I mean, what, what, if, what about my walk with God? What if I... What if I do something that, like that sin that just clings to us that Hebrews talks about? What if I never am free from that and that ends up being the final story of my life? What if I were to deny the Lord? I mean, there's many, many things we could fear, small things, and like getting rejected by someone that, that we don't even know, giving us a dirty look. There's small things, and then there's large things like a big loss, a, a deep, deep hurt, or even death itself. Again, I want us to walk down that street so that we appreciate When David says, I am not fearing any evil. I will not, I will not fear evil. We live in a world where fears are real. And actually what he doesn't say is any fear I possibly have, any emotional response of fear is totally unfounded. He actually doesn't say that. Because I don't think that's the truth. There's real stuff. There are things we can see happening. There are things that are difficult and and painful. There, there are things that we can imagine. And this promise isn't, isn't that we're going to live in a world totally under our control. And by, because we can control everything, then there's no threat of fear. The lack of fear is not because the, the threat is totally imagined or because it's been removed. There actually could be some bad things that happen in our lives. And David says, I will fear no evil. Because the Lord's my shepherd. It doesn't even, it doesn't stop that, stop like, I will, I will not fear. He says, I will fear no evil. And that, that's the difference. What I don't have to fear is evil. If you look at that word, it means many, it has kind of a wide range of meanings. And one of those meanings is like the ultimate harm. So this is what I don't have to fear. I, I believe this is what David's saying. You see pictures sometimes of when a a country city has an earthquake and that earthquake just sends everything. They're totally unprepared for it and everything is left in rubble. Or or you see pictures of a a tsunami or a hurricane and you see like the before and after pictures of how it just totally 
devastates everything and it breaks your heart to see it. I believe that's what David's saying. I won't fear that. My faith will survive. It will endure. I won't be completely devastated. This won't be the script of my life. I want to add, not, not in any way to try to add my two cents to Scripture, but, but I think as David says, I will fear no evil. I, I think he's telling us, I don't have to, and you don't have to either. And I think he's also telling us, I must choose not to. I will fear no evil. I don't have to, and I must choose not to. When the fear is triggered... I don't have to walk down that path. I don't have to to write that script of being overwhelmed by fear. I don't have to be afraid. So a question we might ask David is, you have all the confidence in the world to say, I'm not going to be afraid, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why can you have that kind of confidence? Why do you have that level? Is it just because you have mastered the art of the, the power of positive thinking? Is David just like an unreal optimist? Well, I can just direct you to many other of the Psalms. David is not a naive optimist. David is a a realist. It's not like he just mastered some sort of positive thinking, and that's why he can say, I don't have to be afraid. He hasn't learned this secret mantra to recite, these five words to like just focus a, a little bit of his attention on. David isn't assured. He he doesn't speak of like a host of people just sending good vibes his way so he doesn't have to be afraid because everybody's kind of got him covered. He doesn't say that, you know, I don't have to be afraid because I am strong enough to wade this out. I'm tough enough. I'm just that good. I don't have to be afraid. Maybe someday you'll be as good as I am, but I don't have to be afraid about anything. That's not what he says. What I notice, I I think we can begin to understand the reason for the confidence when it's just about as simple as it comes because he says, I will not be afraid. I will fear no evil. And the word for there is so important. This is the reason why. Because or for you are with me. That's why he's not afraid. Because you are with me. God is present and David's confident. There's, there's different things that shift in the way David, the language that David uses. So up until this point, David has talked about like the Lord leads me. And so the picture is like the Lord going on ahead. But I love the way Derek Kidner, who's written about the Psalms, he says, now it's no lo- the shepherd is no longer ahead to lead, but beside to escort us. And there's something else that happens in verse four that's different from the first three verses. And that is this, the pronoun changes. So the first few verses, David is talking about the Lord in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. But there is something, and I don't think it's accidental, when he talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, is I will fear no evil because you. It changes, doesn't it? You are with me, and now... I mean, it would have made sense for him to say, he's with me, his rod and his staff comfort me. That's not what he says. I wonder if it's it's to tell us in our mind when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we get to overhear, we get to eavesdrop on David's conversation with the Lord 
where he changes and he says, you're with me. You're with me as I walk. I don't have to be afraid. Your presence is right there by me. I want to take you to a world where I've been living a lot for the past few weeks, and it's the world of children's Christmas concerts. And so think of Johnny First Grader or Jenny First Grader, and it's time for their Christmas concert, and it's their big program. They've been practicing. They've been singing those songs, and and you've heard them all. You know them as well as they do at this point. They're all dressed up, and they take the stage. So, So imagine with me, each one of the kids take the stage, and you tell me what each of those kids, you tell me where their attention is going to be when they take that stage. And the answer is not the music director. The answer is not the conductor uh, of music. They're going to do what every kid does. They're going to look out and they're going to try to find their mom, their dad, their grandma, their grandpa, their aunt, their uncle, that special family friend that came there just for them. And they're going to look out. And, and this happens all the time. And like once they find them, they wave. And sometimes they wave the whole time. And, and you smile at that one kid that waves every year, every time. But then there's always that kid that can't seem to find his mom. And you, you can read it. You can read their face. They're preoccupied. They're trying to sing. They're trying to pay attention. But you can see them looking all around. They're trying to find they, they can't even get the words out because they, they don't know that whoever they're looking for is there. Well, well they, they kind of know, right? They, they have to know. They have to know their parents there, grandma's there. But that doesn't match what they're seeing in the moment. The light's blinding them. Maybe they're behind a tall person or whatever. And I think that's a picture, just a small picture of what we feel sometimes. Emotionally, we would be better if when our life just went chaotic, if like Jesus was sitting right there and we could see him. I think Jesus even acknowledges this when he says to Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who will believe and have never seen me. He's talking about us. I think Jesus recognizes the difficulty it is when when we don't have sight and all we have is faith to know, okay, he is present. And when this is what we do sometimes in life, we squint and we, we doubt and we become preoccupied and we hope, we hope beyond hope that he's present. But the truth doesn't change. God is with us. That's his name, right? The Lord with us, Emmanuel. He's with us. What a name to rest our hopes on. God is near. He's not, he's not so embarrassed by our pathetic weaknesses that he just doesn't have any time for us. He's not so busy and preoccupied running everything in the Milky Way galaxy that he doesn't have time to be there right there at that moment for you. David says, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death because he is with me. We need reminders of this. We all do. I think that's one of the reasons why from the beginning, the early church has gathered every single week. And this isn't a, a pitch to like, try to increase church attendance. But I, but I think about what God promises. I think about what Jesus Christ promises, where two or three are gathered. 
I am present. So I think about coming into this place when, when God actually feels distant. And I think about the, the songs that I sing with the body of Christ. I think about the prayers that I hear sometimes when my heart's too weak to even pray them myself. And, and, and I recognize when, when we go to communion, when we, when we talk to the Lord, God is present. Jesus Christ is present with us. God is with us. And we need that reminder. That's why when we open God's word, when we read scripture, we're hearing God's voice and and this isn't a dead, ancient book that, does, that has like no meaning beyond just ancient meaning. It actually is living and active and powerful. So much so that as I read the words of Jesus or the words promising Jesus to come or the words looking back to as Jesus came and, and what's next, I'm reading and I'm hearing the voice of God and I have the presence of Christ. The Lord is near. I love this passage in 2 Timothy 4. Scripture doesn't always talk like this, but occasionally it goes here. Paul said, there was a time where everybody left me. But he says, 2 Timothy 4, 17, but the Lord stood by me. And the Lord encouraged me. And I'm not super mystical, but I can identify with Paul's experience. Well, there's times where I can't even articulate the words for it. You're not ever going to be able to put it in a test tube to dissect what was going on, but I know in my soul I'm not walking this alone. I never was. He has always been faithful, and he is with me. I, I, I want us to notice, though, that he's not just with us. So it says, I don't have to be afraid. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then adding to that is not just the presence of an imaginary friend or, or someone that is like a companion but can't help you with anything. But David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we live 3,000 years removed from when, from when this was written and, and certainly cultures removed from this. But when it talks about, when, when David talks about the rod and the staff, the rod is like this short instrument a shepherd would wear on them. And, and, and scholars would tell us that this rod was a club to drive away animals. The staff, on the other hand, was something that the, the shepherd might walk with. And it was long enough that if a sheep ahead of them were, were to like, go off the right path, they could kind of pull them back in to make sure they stayed on the right path. David says, it's not just that you're present. It's that you're present and you're armed. You're ready to protect, to guide, to help me. If anybody knew what those instruments, the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff, if anybody knew what those meant, it would be David. Because David was a shepherd. And we actually get a glimpse into what it meant to David that the Lord, his shepherd, had a rod and a staff. Can I set the scene? It's a story from 1 Samuel 17. You don't have to, you don't have to turn there. 1 Samuel 17 tells us that Goliath is overlooking a valley and he's taunting the people of Israel. And he's shouting all sorts of insults and blasphemies. It really probably felt like the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death for the people of Israel because it seemed like the Israelites were, might be tasting death. And the question kind of in 1 Samuel 17 is who's going to go out to fight? Who's going to be the warrior? Who's going to be the leader? And a shepherd comes in from working the afternoon shift, assesses what's going on, and goes to the king. And David, the shepherd, volunteers to fight. 
I wonder if this story is in his mind when he says, the Lord's rod and staff comfort me. Because it says in 1 Samuel 17 that Saul, after hearing this inquiry of David to, I'll go fight, Saul replied, you can't go fight. You can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. Listen to David's answer. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. And I struck it down, maybe even with a rod. I struck it down and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. And if it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur and I would strike it down and kill it. Your servant, a shepherd, has killed lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you can go. May the Lord be with you. David could say, I know what it's like for a shepherd to be with his sheep, and I know what it's like for a shepherd to have to use a rod to beat down a predator because nothing was going to mess with his sheep. I know what it's like. It makes me hear it a little bit different when David says, you have a rod and you have a staff. You're willing to use them for my good. And I'm comforted. I'm assured. I feel security. I have confidence. I have courage. You see, what I've been praying for all of us in this room is that we would have that. This wouldn't just be a story of David, a nice poem of David, but this would be our confidence as well. I know we need a shepherd. I know we need to hear this. I I believe in divine appointments. Maybe that divine appointment brought you in here to hear this one verse that the Lord is your shepherd and he knows how to use a rod and a staff. I I think this verse is holy ground. And as amazing, as amazing as this time can be, as amazing as Christmas can be, I also know for many, it feels like you're walking through a valley, maybe even the valley of the shadow of death. We struggle and we wonder, am I all alone? Like everybody else seems to be having a good time, but, but not this year, not this time. I'm reminded that Jesus took the analogy of a shepherd and said, this is me. I am the good shepherd. And I started thinking this week about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I, I thought, oh, Jesus didn't just walk through a valley of shadows. He actually went to the cross. He didn't just experience shadows of death. He tasted the separation from God, even so much saying, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Our good shepherd, who gives his life for the sheep, was willing to be abandoned by God so that his sheep would never know, never know what it's like to be abandoned by God. He tasted the punishment for our sin so that now we say with David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know he will not leave me. I don't have to fear evil. This gives us a new confession. The Lord's my shepherd. And that means something. Gives us new words on our lips, a a new prayer to pray and a new hope to rely on.
I want to just take a moment and quiet our hearts before the Lord. And actually take a few moments to cry out to him if you feel led, or maybe just to be silent before him. But I want us to encounter the Lord as our shepherd today. And again, as I said from the beginning, I don't want you to just know it in your head and be impressed with the imagery. I want you to feel it in your heart as the Lord is our shepherd. In just a moment, we'll, we'll sing this song. It's been put to music, but let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Our Father, we thank you that you are you're not only our shepherd, you're also our companion, you're with us. And there are probably several in the room, many, who feel very lonely, and I pray you would do what only you can do. Give them a sense of your presence. For the person that has fears that have been so defining for so, so long, so many months, so many years maybe. I pray they would have a glimpse of the light even as they're in the shadows right now. They don't have to be afraid. Thank you, Lord, that you are our shepherd. Teach us new things about you. Teach us new ways that you instill us with courage and confidence. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.